this morning and for all those watching and listening out in internet land we're very thankful for you um, I'm just gonna say a quick prayer for us father I just thank you so much that we can still gather that we can still worship wherever we are that we don't have to be in a, a crowd that we can just be with you alone or with just a few or however it works out and I just thank you for your infiniteness um, for your just immeasurable qualities and that you're all we need. You're all we need. And I just pray, Father, that we'll hear that really intimately this morning. Amen.
Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever save. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you.
Good morning, Carpenter's Way. It is uh, great to have you watching this morning, or for those of you in this room, it's good to see you here. We, we miss you. We miss you so much, and I know a lot of you are on vacation, and some of you are being cautious, and that's, uh, that's smart too, and we just love you, and I want to remind you, if you need anything, please let us know, and we're going to continue to try to provide for you and encourage you spiritually and give you opportunities to grow. And I, I just want to remind you in that vein that we've got VBS going on online this year. And uh, if you're not a part of that, if you'll email Alicia at uh, Alicia at CWBC.org, we'll make sure to get you plugged into that and the information you need for that. But it's Sunday night, so another one is coming out this evening. And also, we have our children's ministry that's putting out videos every week on Sunday mornings and Wednesdays. We've got our student ministry that's putting out videos on Wednesdays. These are all original material that we're doing uh, to encourage you. And folks, we encourage you to do that with your kids. So uh, I also want to encourage you to stay with us. Well, if you're watching this morning, you have been. Uh, but uh, I want to encourage you. I know that as, as the weeks and months go by, it's easier just to, just to kind of step away. But stay with us. Uh, keep studying the Word with us as God teaches us and, uh, and be safe. And we'll be glad. Um, well, we'll just, we'll just be glad when this is all over. Um, but uh, I wanted to uh, also encourage you um, um, that we, we're praying for you. Uh, if you have any needs, if you have any spiritual needs, if you have anything to pray for, please let us know. Uh, as we meet as a staff every week and we, we pray regularly for you. Pray for our family. We've got some folks that have COVID. Uh, we've got some folks quarantined. It seems like we have a lot more quarantine than with COVID. Uh, and uh, that's, that's why Chad isn't here today. He's under quarantine. I'm sure he gl he's glad that I'm telling you that. So, uh, but uh, he'll be done with that in a couple days. And uh, we have made plans if, if the whole staff ends up under quarantine, but that's the world we live in. And and uh, every week's going to be a new adventure now for the next couple months with who's up front. And, and uh, if I have to teach from home, we'll teach from home. But stick with us. St keep trusting the Lord, walking with God as we try to figure out the new normal and be praying for our school system as they try to plan out what school looks like and, um, and all. So um, that's pretty much what I wanted to mention this morning. Again, thanks for, th thanks for being with us. Today is going to be such a great time in the Word. I'm going to pray for us. Uh, and I want to I thank you for your faithful giving. Keep giving. Uh, we're able not just to take care of our bills here. One day this will be over, I promise. This will all be done. Uh, and uh, hopefully we'll be able to, in the next uh, few weeks or so, uh, make it every other week. For those of you who don't know what we're doing right now, uh, we are inviting our Bible study classes to come in. We have it on the three-week rotation. for every. So every three weeks, if you're involved in a Bible study, your class is welcome to come and worship with us live. I'm hoping that in... Uh, the month of August, we can move that. To, at the beginning of August, we can move that to every other week. And then uh, after school's in session or at some point when the elders feel it's, it's wise and safe, we'll just open up the church and, and, and then we'll kind of start moving into having child care. But right now is not the time. Uh, we, we want you to, you can worship with us online. You can come in. It's really safe right now during your week with your Bible study. Uh, and next week um, is going to be, let me make sure I don't do this wrong here. It is, let's see. Seekers this week. I'm messing this up. Okay, so Rowan's class is next week again. Connie Rhodes class. Uh, the women's Bible study class. Robert Grimes class. 
uh, Julie and mine in the Hughes class, and then the Alversons classes again next week. So that's who's next week. Uh, I'll be sending it to your Bible study, and I'll let you know. If you're visiting with us, or if you're interested in coming and you don't have a Bible study class, if you'll email me, I'll connect you with one, um, or uh, we'll just invite you to come on in. But we want to know who's here so that we can communicate if somebody gets sick and, and so that you can watch your health and all that. So uh, a lot of weird stuff going on, but one thing that's consistent is the song you just sang, We Can Trust in Our Lord. We Can Trust in the Lord. Uh, some trust, I, I put a verse online this week, said some trust in uh, chariots and land, but we put our trust in the Lord, and that's, that's where our hope is. So let's pray. Let's pray for our country. Let's pray for our community. We're going to pray for you, and uh, thank you for being with us today. God, we love you. We're thankful even more that you love us. I thank you for our congregation, our, our church family, Father, our family of faith that, uh, that, that, that is leaning into you that is faithfully involved in ministering to others, taking care of their families, as well as, Father, giving regularly. I thank you for that. I just pray, Lord, that you would continue to provide for us financially, spiritually, even with our people. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes to see what you're doing around us and what you have for us. And, Lord, I pray for this morning that as these ladies lead us in worship, we thank you for their gift set. And, and Steve, too, um, I pray that you would bless our time. I pray that we would... We would have just have a wonderful time in the Word as we, as we sit in and watch the, the, the Last Supper with the disciples. So we commit our time to you. We pray for those that are sick with COVID and other things. Uh, Father, bring healing to them, and, and may they experience your presence as never before. Lord Jesus, we love you, and now speak to us wherever we are. In Jesus' name, amen.
Psalm 62, verses 1 and 2 says this, Truly my soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from him. Truly he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress, and I will never be shaken.
right beside me. No wonder my heart is glad and I rejoice. My body rests in safety.
That is a great psalm. Too often relegated to funerals when it actually talks about how he lived, how David lived. He trusted the Lord. This man that we all know is a great shepherd and a good king tells us how he was led, and he was led by God who was his shepherd. Uh, man, we need that at this time. We need, we need to, to lean in and trust all that stuff we've learned our whole lives. Now we need to put it into action, don't we? Uh, as things kind of spin in a way that we're not used to, uh, we're not used to it going. I want to encourage you before I jump into our text this morning uh, to stay with us in our study. Be diligent, be disciplined. Even if you're on vacation, if you're on a boat, just take this time with us on Sunday mornings because I am, I, I am just regularly shocked at how um, applicable this is to where we are today. And if you stick with me this morning in our text and our study of the upper room, the Last Supper, the Passover meal with Jesus and the disciples, uh, the, day, uh, the day he is going to be arrested, later this night he gets arrested, but the conversation he has with them, their lack of understanding what's about to happen and the things that he's saying, they're, they're presupposing on his words certain meanings. Uh, man, that's where we are today. And I just, I, it's so encouraging to me as I study this was a text uh, I started this week, and I thought, man, we've all studied this a hundred times, but we want to go methodically through it. But I realized just this week just how significant it is. People have not changed, even the followers of Jesus. We haven't changed. Uh, we still struggle with the very same things. Technology has changed. Thank God for that. Thank the Lord that we live in a time with technology where, where you can stay at home or you can listen online or even on your phone. I know that's a little bit... Uh, annoying. And, and I'm excited because Jeff, the last couple of weeks, has been working really hard. Uh, we are about to unleash a Roku app. For those of you who have a, that streaming uh, device, Roku, and also an Apple TV app. So right next to Netflix and Hulu is going to be Carpenter's Way. <laughs> so so for those of you who are, who are relegated to your phone looking at this, uh, if you're interested in investing in one of those, in the next couple of weeks, you'll be able just to turn that on and it'll be on your TV. And there's nothing better than a bigger me. I mean, I'll just, I do look fatter on the big screen TV. Uh, and so um, anyway, but that's coming the next couple of weeks and so we're excited about that. Our job, our desire as a church is to keep you connected with the truth. Our desire is to keep you connected with each other, which again is why we do these Bible study gatherings. And man, I want to mention also, if you're not part of a Bible study, or even if you are, men, every Tuesday morning at 6.30, on, we're doing it on Zoom right now, and we can walk you through that. We have our men's Bible study. We have uh, people in Dallas. We've got people in North Carolina that gather with us uh, some of the Tuesday mornings. But what's cool about the online forum is we can all interact. We're studying Scripture uh, we are in uh, Habakkuk right now, and man, has that been relevant. So 6.30 to about 7.15. Uh, I, Cecil Jackson, who is eating breakfast right now while I'm talking uh, next to his beautiful pool on his beautiful piece of property, uh, we should all go out there sometime and have dinner. They can cook it. Um, but uh, we, uh, he actually drives to work while he's, he's logged in. So uh, anyway, it's, uh, please be involved. Ladies, the ladies have Bible studies going on, and some of them are on Zoom. Some of them are in person. But we have, whether you're concerned about this, and look, you have reason to be concerned, or you're like, I might as well just get it, let's just get it over with, and that's fine too. But in any case, we want you to be safe, and we want to keep feeding you and feeding each other, so we have all these forums. If you have any questions about any of them, please feel free to email us. If you have questions about men's timeout, 
You can contact Daryl Douglas if you don't know how to contact him. If you'll just email me, mark at cwbc.org. If you have questions about women's Bible studies, you can email Julie at julie at cwbc.org, and we'd be glad to answer questions. Uh, I know it's weird. It's going to continue to be weird, uh, and that's just the time we're living in, and we're trying to keep you safe, and we're doing the best we can. Please bear with our decisions, but uh, be involved. It's, it's worth it. So let's jump into our, our text. So um, we're going to be all over some of the Gospels today, and, and I'm going to begin by reading us up to speed where we find ourselves in our story today. Luke 22, verse 7 says, Now the festival of unleavened bread arrived when the Passover lamb was sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John ahead, and he said, Go and prepare the Passover meal so that we can eat it together. Where do you want us to prepare it, they asked him. He replied, As soon as you enter Jerusalem, a man carrying a pitcher of water will meet you, follow him. At the house he enters, say to the owner, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I can eat the Passover meal with my disciples? He'll take you upstairs to a large room that is already set up. That is where you should prepare our meal. They went off to the city and they found everything just as Jesus had said, and they prepared the Passover meal there. So in case you're not paying attention, Jesus had this fully under control. What's going to feel like in the next 24 hours for them? Complete chaos, complete out of control. Jesus is fully in control. John and Peter are about to prepare the room, and Jesus says, I want you to go into the town, and you're going to see a guy with a pitcher of water. Why would that stand out to them? Because women are the ones who usually carried pitchers of water. So this man is carrying a pitcher of water. He's going to go into his house. You don't have to talk to him. Just follow him. He's going to walk into his house. When you walk into the house, the owner is going to be there. You just say to the owner, the master has need, uh, blah, blah, blah. And it's exactly as he intended. It is so funny that we as the followers of Jesus are surprised when things play out exactly like he said. We should probably learn after thousands of years, Jesus knows what he's talking about. Now we're going to jump to John 13, verses 1 to 17. So we're in the house. The Passover meal has been prepared. But before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end of his life. It was time for supper. And the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, he took off his robe, he wrapped a towel around his waist, he poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Simon, or Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. Now let's pause at that, because this is a clue to shut up and let Jesus do his work, okay? This is a clue. When Jesus says to you, you're not going to understand, but I'm going to do it anyway. Later, you're going to appreciate this. Later, this is going to have value. You should be quiet, and that's what Jesus is saying to Peter. This is also a clue for those of us who study the word in, in past, look back, that something was taking place that the disciples were clueless about. So that's a little hint there. But someday you will, he tells him. Verse 8, no, Peter protested. That's your first, that's his first foolish move. No, you just don't say no to Jesus. It never works out well. No, Peter protested. You will never wash my feet. Well, Jesus replied, well, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Simon Peter exclaimed, then wash my hands and my head as well, Lord, not just my feet. Jesus replied, a person who is bathed all over doesn't need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you. For Jesus knew who would betray him. And that is what he meant when he said, not all of you are clean. After washing their feet, he put his robe on again and he sat down and he asked, do you understand what I was doing? 
You call me teacher, you call me Lord, and you're right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and Rabbi, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet now. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth, slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. So I want to pause again. And we studied this two weeks ago. Zach preached last week on our, uh, on, on our identity being in Christ. And if you did not hear that message, it was an excellent message on how you survive today by understanding who you really are, not who you feel you are, who your parents told you you were, but who God says you are. That's significant in surviving times like this. Uh, but two weeks ago, we talked about Jesus washing the disciples' feet. And if you weren't a part of that discussion, I would encourage you to go back, and I would encourage you to, to watch that with us as we're just doing a Bible study. Now we find ourselves this morning in the next part of that meal. In verse 14 of Luke 22, Luke records for us that when the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table. So up to now, this has all been a precursor for what's on your screen. Now this is... Uh, a, uh, a redone picture of Leonardo da Vinci's uh, picture of the Last Supper. And no, it wasn't like that. I mean, this picture has led to the joke. You know what the last thing at the Last Supper Jesus said was? Everybody around this side of the table for a picture. <laughs> I have been wanting to use that joke in a message for about 15 years. Um, so I hope you'd appreciate it. But the picture you're looking at on your screen is Leonardo da Vinci's image of what happened at the Last Supper. And certainly it wasn't like that, but, but we all have a, a, a mental picture of what that, that meal looked like. Um, but for the disciples, and the actual deal was that the Passover meal, they had celebrated their whole lives. Passover to the Hebrew is like Christmas to us. It's the most famous, the most wonderful, the most exciting event in the Jewish calendar from the perspective that it is exciting but common. However, this one was extra special, not because they knew Jesus was dying, but because they were in Jerusalem. And no matter how many times you celebrated the Passover as a Hebrew, it was always extra special if you got to celebrate it in Jerusalem. As you know, Jerusalem is the capital uh, of, of uh, all things Jewish, even under Roman leadership. Jerusalem is where the temple was. It's the only temple, for those of you who don't know, that, that the Hebrews had. And it was the dream of every Hebrew boy and girl to at least spend one Passover in Jerusalem. They were at the mothership of all things Hebrew, of all things Jewish, and it excited them. The, the, Jew, the, the city of Jerusalem would swell to what some say were hundreds of thousands of people in a town that was only tens of thousands of people on a normal day. It swelled because every rabbi, every priest, every Pharisee, all of the best teachers of Israel would be there, as well as merchants in the, in the temple courts. It would be full and bustling and loud, and people would be there, and they would be celebrating and preparing to celebrate. It was just an exciting time. As you know, it had been a wonderful week, well, an interesting week, because the masses were surrounding Jesus and celebrating him as their king, and then they had that incident where Jesus rebuked the Jewish religious leaders by, by telling them that they had turned his house, his father's house, into a, a, a den of thieves. And then he turns and he rebukes the crowd for actually marketing from them or purchasing from them. And this all happened on the temple grounds during Passover week. And while many were listening to Jesus' teaching and watching the miracles he was doing, 
it began to feel to the disciples over the past few days that the crowd was actually turning away from Jesus rather towards him. But they had become accustomed to that by now. There had been three years of large crowds walking away from Jesus. But now at dinner, there were no crowds, no conflict with Pharisees or religious leaders. It was just Jesus and his closest followers. He had washed their feet, which was weird, but that was done and it was over and Jesus made his point. So now they're sitting down for the traditional meal that they loved, a night that they expected to be uneventful, normal, celebrant, Hebraic, everything that they could ever possibly want. It was Christmas to the Jew and nobody else was going to bother them until Jesus began talking. In chapter 22 of Luke, verse 15, it says, Jesus said, I have been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now, now you've got to pay attention to what Jesus says here, because you, like the Hebrews, have been geared just to run to the end of this message, but you need to listen. I want you to dig deep in your brain. I want you to slow down. I want you to think carefully about what Jesus is saying. He says, I tell you now, I'm excited to have Passover with you this time, today, because I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again, Passover, until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup of wine, and he gave thanks to God for it. Then he said, take this and share it among yourselves, for I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. My Baptist evangelical American Christian friends, now your mind goes to what you were taught in Sunday school. Oh yeah, that's right, Jesus is saying that until we get to heaven, until we're all at the marriage supper of the Lamb, until we celebrate the Seder together as a family, Jesus is saying it's not going to happen. But that is not what the disciples heard. They must have thought, what? I mean, we have been t while Jesus had been talking about this suffering that he must take, that he mentions here, since they left the Mount of Transfiguration, but what did he mean when he said that he wouldn't take this meal again until its meaning has been fulfilled. What was he saying by that? I mean, this festival that they were having was about historic events. It was about a past event. It was about God answering the prayer of Hebraic people who had already been delivered, and they loved remembering how God had shown himself faithful. And sure, it reminded them that one day God would do it again by sending a Messiah. And sure, they understand that he, uh, that he is the fulfillment of that. But what must have shocked him is what he said next. I will not drink wine again, this wine, until the kingdom of God has come. Now, when I say it shocked them, I mean excited them. Because if you remember... These disciples, and I will prove it again later in our message, but these disciples have every reason to believe that Jesus is about to set up his kingdom. That Jesus is actually, now, now again, I want to remind you that based upon the teaching that these Hebrew boys and girls had had their whole lives, they believed in a pre-trib, pre-mill, pre-trouble rapture. Not a rapture, but coming of the kingdom. They had been so taught that from childhood, that's all they ever heard. Even when Jesus said, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to die, that was like Charlie Brown's teacher talk. Wah, 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 wah. Get me to the part I get. And they would jump to this, and their hearts must have leapt in their chests. Wait, he just said it. 
He's not going to drink this wine again until the kingdom of God has come. And in their minds, it meant that this new earthly kingdom would happen before next Passover. Remember, they have just asked two days before, when's the kingdom going to come? And Jesus actually explained that first Jerusalem has to fall, and then the temple's going to be crushed, and then there's going to be a season of the Gentiles, and then the Lord's going to come. Wah, 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 wah. But here he's saying, I'm not going to drink Passover wine. I'm not going to eat this bread until the kingdom has already been established. And immediately their brains must have gone to, whoa, this is the year. This is the year. Before next year at this time, we are going to be sitting on the right and left of Jesus in the temple area as he has his kingdom come. And Jesus continues. Luke 22, 19. So he took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it into pieces and he gave it to the disciples. Now, pause, take a pause. Listen, they had done this dozens of times. If they're 35 when this happens, they've done it 35 times. This is the Seder. Our communion, you recognize this as part of the communion service. That part of our communion service, my friends, it's called the Seder. That part of the communion service is what we do from the Seder. Because what Jesus is saying, and they're not getting it, but what, remember, he already told Peter, you're not going to understand what I'm doing right now, but you just need to pay attention because you will later. But Jesus takes this bread that they, had, that they had broken and passed around at the table every year of their lives on Passover, and he breaks the bread. He goes, pay attention, because the message is going to be fulfilled before I eat this again, and I'm not going to drink this cup again until the kingdom is here. And he takes the bread and he breaks it. He says, this thing you've done, it's my body. Jesus is giving a visual. This is my body. It's broken for you. You're going to need to do this in remembrance of me now, not of Moses' deliverance. Then he goes on. After supper, he took another cup of wine. He said, this cup, this cup. I've got it like a communion cup. That's better. He takes this cup. This cup is the new covenant as opposed to the Abrahamic covenant, as opposed to the Mosaic covenant. This is a new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed in my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. So they took the bread and they ate it, and they drank the wine that they had drunk dozens of times. And once again, Jesus' words were confusing. Wah, 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 wah. Why? Because they were so turned on that Jesus had just said, I'm not going to do this again until the kingdom has come, which fulfilled every one of their dreams. Because what was their dream? To not have the Jews subservient to Gentiles. To be rulers among the people. To actually be Jesus' wise counsel as he kinglizzed it over the, Jew, over the Hebrew people who rule over the people of the world. You see, even the disciples... Even the disciples' desires were self-centered. And I'm going to say that word a lot today, self-centered. But I don't mean it like you say it when your kids steal the last cookie. You are so selfish. It's not like that. It is self-centered. <clears throat> People's flesh, even the followers of Jesus' flesh, has always hijacked God's truth to feed their whims and desires. And I'm going to go ahead and give you the end of this message that I'll come back to now. But in the same way that most of us grew up in churches that taught us prophetic teaching 
and gave us hope by telling us that there would be a pre-mill rapture. And by that, what they meant was we wouldn't have trouble in this life. Despite what Jesus told us would happen, these disciples are looking for a pre-trib, pre-mill kingdom coming. We all want no trouble. None of us do. Nobody wants persecution. Nobody wants to be mocked. Nobody wants to lose their tax-exempt status. Nobody wants to live in an immoral world. Nobody. We want God's kingdom to reign. What we long for is heaven. What we want is heaven on earth. And since this time, these men and women in the room, these men are only listening for things that match their doctrinal agenda, not necessarily what Jesus is teaching. And that's why Jesus said, pay attention, look at me, look at me, look at me. This is my body, crack. Nobody asks a question. Nobody says, Jesus, what are you talking about? Nobody asks him about the suffering that he mentioned. After my suffering, these things are going to take place. They are so excited now that Jesus, in their thinking, promises a kingdom before the next year. Well, I'll show you what they do in a moment. But what Jesus actually says about the cup is the blood, the cup is a representation of the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice to you. Jesus wasn't talking about a kingdom on earth. He was talking about the fulfillment of John 3, 16 and 17. In John 3, 16 and 17, in the New Living Translation, it says, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his, only, his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him won't perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world. Now pause. We always look at judging as such a negative thing, not even to rule over the world. Not to, judging is what kings do, but not just, to, not just to, be, uh, to, to condemn the world, but to actually judge the world. He didn't come this time to be the judge. He came to be the savior. And these disciples still want him to be a judge. And I would argue many in our day, when they look at what's going on in Washington and what's going on in these riots, they want God to rain fire down from heaven. We have no idea. I'm getting ahead of myself. Jesus, God's promise of eternal life by anyone who believes in him is fulfilled in Jesus' coming. It's what Romans chapter 3, verse 20 says. For no one can ever be made right by doing, uh, with God by doing what the law commands. In other words, there's nobody moral enough. The law simply shows us actually how sinful we are. But now, God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law. What? I can be right with God without being moral, without keeping the law? This was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right. Here it goes. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone is sin. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, in His grace, freely makes us right in His sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when He freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus, now pay attention to that, this is the imagery. This is the other imagery of what Jesus explained. Jesus is taking a cup and saying, this is the cup in my blood. This is what's going to happen in a few hours. And you don't understand it now, but you're going to freak out. I'm going to die. They're going to bleed me. They're going to take every ounce of blood out of my body. That blood is shed for you. And why did it happen? Because the God the Father sent Jesus as that sacrifice. Jesus was slaughtered so that our sin, well, God presented Jesus to be slaughtered as a sacrifice for sin. 
People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. Now, these disciples, we can say, well, they didn't understand that. Jesus had started talking about the fact that he was going to die on the cross, clearly since the Mount Transfiguration, but he wasn't clear, and their mind are so Hebraic, they wouldn't understand. Well, the problem with that is they were taught this since childhood. In fact, Isaiah 53 could not be more clear on why Jesus or the Messiah was coming. He was despised and rejected, a man of many sorrows, acquainted with the deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised, and we didn't care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. Here it is. These disciples and the women all had been taught this from childhood. Here it is. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have all left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was like a lamb to the slaughter. And as sheep is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. Look, while it's easy to say the disciples didn't understand because Jesus wasn't clear enough, the truth is their upbringing and the scriptures that these men were required to study should have told them what to expect from the Messiah. And I think they knew it. They just couldn't overcome what their flesh wanted. They just wanted what they wanted, and that's all they wanted, and they couldn't overcome it. Some of the observations that I thought about this week as I looked at this test, just just about life in general, and I want it to be clear, and I want you to listen to this. First, just because we don't understand something or like something that God says or does does not keep it from happening. Just because you don't like it, just because you don't like how it sounds, whether it's election, grace, mercy, patience with people, straight, gay, poor, rich, where they wear their pants, whatever things you hate, just because you don't like it doesn't mean God isn't, God isn't loving on them. Just because you want to go home today doesn't mean God's ready to take you home today. Just because we want no, the disciples want no trouble in this life doesn't mean their lives would be trouble-free. His ways are not only going to happen, but they are best, whether his followers see it or not. And he's still taking care of their spiritual needs, even when they're blind to what he's about to do. That is super important. He's God, they weren't, and they were about to learn that. Secondly, this plan to redeem mankind through the shed blood of God's Son was in place the world was even formed according to Ephesians chapter 1. And that shows that even while the Hebrews were eating that first Passover in Egyptian territory, built within that festival was the picture of the cross, was the picture of the Messiah coming to shed his blood. His body would be broken, his blood would be shed, and those who take his blood, those who are willing to eat to accept his offer, would be saved. And you know that that picture's there because you love, just like I do, the story of how the Passover angel passed over Hebrew houses. 
How, what was the difference? It wasn't that you were Jewish or circumcised. That's not how the, the death angel passed over the house. The death angel passed over the house when what was there? The blood, right? A Passover lamb was slain. The blood of that, that spotless lamb was taken with hyssop. They would dip it into that blood. They would put it on the doorpost and on the side. The sides and the doorpost. Okay, are, are you following me? Doorpost, sides. I'm not saying that's a cross, but it sure as heck sounds like one to me. The picture was there. The picture of it ain't enough to be redeemed by Moses or led by Moses into the wilderness. It's not enough to find yourself in the promised land. It's not enough to be circumcised. It's not enough to be Jewish. And it ain't enough to be Christian. The question is, is God God? Has he, has he, have we accepted him? Look, I understand that every one of us struggles with our fleshly struggles. We do. And we want God, whether we're fat or uh, gossipy. I mean, so often in the church, there are certain sins we would never tolerate, right? Adultery, um, bad lying. It's okay to lie about somebody's bad haircut, but it's not okay to lie about something else, that you stole $100 from them. That's still lying, but I understand. But we allow gossiping in the church. We do. We call it a prayer request. Or if you're in the South, you end it with bless your heart, and it seems okay. But the truth is, all sin offends God. And too often we say, oh, that's just Mark Wilkie. He's built that way. So we're going to overlook his sin. The truth is, God doesn't overlook sin, even if the rest of the church does. And if you're gay, for instance, and the church hates you because you're gay, God will still redeem you from your sin. If you're an adulterer and the church hates you, God still sent his son to die for you. If you're straight and you're a lust-laden person, whatever your sin is, Jesus came to die, but he doesn't grade on a curve. He's not going to accept one sin, which is what Cain was hoping he would do, because, well, that's just how I am. Jesus came to save us from how we are. Jesus came to redeem us from that. And these disciples thought they were doing pretty good. And by all earthly measures, they were. There's just one problem. Their desires were different than God's desires. Why does this all love, matter to us? Because God's love for us and his plan to save us did not begin when we figured it out. He loved us and the disciples, and he set a plan into action to save them and us when we were rebellious or at least ignorant. And he accomplished his plan even while his closest friends are clueless. So come to him today. Come to him today. He's not waiting for you to figure it out. He's not waiting for you to become moral. He's not waiting for you to become like the church wants you to become. He is waiting for you to understand that you are a sinner and he is the only one that can save you from your sin. The things that you do, lying, cheating, stealing, uh, it, um, I don't know, adultery, immorality, those are, those are manifestations of the problem. It's like right now. If, if you get COVID and you have a fever, your problem isn't the temperature, it's COVID. And if you just deal with that temperature, you're only dealing with one-tenth of the symptoms. The truth is you've got a, a virus inside of you that is eating you up that needs to be healed, that needs to be dealt with. Sin is the same way. Your problem isn't, isn't your sexual attraction, married, unmarried, whatever it is. Your problem is you're a sinner, and that's how it manifests itself. And Jesus Christ came to save sinners, of which I am, am one as well. 
My sin may be different than yours, but it's not whether or not you or I are offended. It's whether or not God's offended by it. And God was offended by it, but his love overcame that by sending Jesus, whose body was broken for it, whose blood was shed with a new commitment, a new covenant that says, if you accept me, I will forgive your sin. If you accept my offer to forgive, if you repent of your sin and turn from your wicked way, I will heal you. Jesus Christ allowed his body to be broken like that bread so you don't have to. He paid for your sin through his blood so you don't have to. Luke twenty two nineteen. 19. So he took some bread and he gave thanks for it. Then he broke it into pieces and he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body which was given for you. Do it and eat it in remembrance of me. And after supper he took a cup of wine and he said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. But here at this table, sitting among us as a friend, is the man who will betray me. For it has been determined that the Son of Man must die. There he goes again. Wah, 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 wah. It has been determined. For God so loved the world that he sent his Son. It has been determined that the Son of Man must die. But so, what sorrow awaits the one who betrays him? The disciples began to ask each other which of them would ever do such a thing. How could any of us? What are you talking about, Jesus? They're not even thinking about, again, he says he's going to die, but they're not worried about that. They just think Jesus is over-speaking as he usually does. It's, it's, they're clueless on that. They're just too much. He keeps talking about that. I don't get it, so let's just move on. Besides, he just told us the kingdom's coming. But one of us is going to be a turncoat? Who could do such a thing? More detail on this from John 13. At the upper room, at the Last Supper, Jesus was deeply troubled, and he ex exclaimed, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at each other, wondering whom he could mean. The disciple Jesus loved, and we know as John, was sitting next to Jesus at the table. Simon Peter motioned to him to ask, who's he talking about? So the disciple leaned over to Jesus, and he said, Lord, who are you talking about? Jesus responded, it's the one to whom I will give bread that I dip in the bowl. <laughs> okay, so, so get this. Somebody asked, so, so John asked him, Peter tells John to ask, who's he talking about? Because nobody knows. They look around saying, nobody at this table would ever do that. So Peter tells John to ask Jesus. Jesus looks at him and he says, I'm going to dip this piece. He rips a piece of bread off. He says, I'm going to dip this piece of bread in the wine. I'm going to give it to the guy I'm talking about. Now, if you think I'm crazy that they don't listen to him, watch this. Jesus responded, It is the one to whom I give the bread and dip it in the bowl. And when he had dipped it, he gave it to Judas, son of Simon Iscariot. When Judas had eaten the bread, Satan entered into him. Then Jesus told him, Hurry and do what you're going to do. None of the others at the table knew what he meant. Since Judas was the, their treasure, some thought Jesus was telling him to go pay for the food or to give some money to the poor. So Judas left at once, going out into the night. Jesus, hey, Peter says to John, ask Jesus who he's talking about because we can't figure it out. Jesus says to John, watch, I'm going to dip this bread in, I'm going to give it to somebody, and that's going to be the guy. So he takes the bread, he dips it, and he gives it to Judas, the betrayer. Judas gets the bread, Jesus says, whatever you do, do it quickly. Get it done. It's time. Let's get this done. Judas, I don't know if he eats it or not, but he gets up from the table and he runs out at that point. And what do the other disciples do? Who's he talking about? Why? 
because their minds are set on what their minds are set on. They're not listening. They're not paying attention. They just want what they want. Their mind is on the kingdom. Actually, in case you think I'm making that up, after Judas leaves, Judas leaves at once, going out into the night. Luke 22, verse 24, tells us what happens as soon as Judas leaves. Then, then what? When Judas is gone, he gets up and leaves. What do they do? They begin to argue among themselves about who's going to be the greatest among them. I want that to sink in. Jesus has just said, this is my body, break. This is my blood, drink. I'm going to die, I'm going to suffer, and all they hear is kingdom within 12 months. One of you is going to betray me. Who would do that? Nobody. Jesus says, it's Judas. Are they listening? No. Judas would never do that. He's the treasurer. Another observation for those watching online. Do not use God's people as an excuse not to follow Jesus. Even Jesus had a Judas. For those of you who don't attend church when there's not this going on, for those of you who don't attend church because it's full of hypocrites, you're sending yourself to hell for the wrong reason. Listen to me. It's about Jesus. He is the only one that can save any of us. My goodness, in our study the last year and a half, we have over and over and over seen how foolish the disciples were, and those are the good guys. For for 15 years, we did a series uh, probably about three or four years into my coming called Out of Stained Glass, where we went through, starting in Genesis, the major patriarchs of, of the Bible, people that we revere, and we pointed out time after time just how foolish they are. From Adam and Eve, who rejected God's, uh, disobeyed him, they ate the cookie he told them not to eat, to Cain killing his brother Abel, and you go right down through it, to Noah, who can't wait to get out of the ark to plant uh, a vineyard so he can get drunk, all the way through, to Abraham, who pimps his wife off twice, to Isaac, his son, who does the same thing, over and over and over again, God's children, God's chosen leaders, continually turn their back on him. If you are looking at the church for an example of God's faithfulness, look higher. We are here, not because we have arrived, but because we know we haven't arrived. Child of God, the only thing you have to people's need is an answer. We are a fallen and blind and self-centered people. Every one of us want what we want. We want our kids to grow up fat, dumb, and happy. We want them to have no trouble but have maturity. We want our grandkids to grow up in America that's free. We want all these things we want, but none of them are promised by God. None of them. Because God is not concerned about America. He is concerned about people of every nation, land, socioeconomic status, every color of skin, every people, because he died for the whole world. And the more we talk about America, the more we try to, the more we believe that this is about our country, the less we're talking about Jesus Christ who came to save sinners. Back to our text. The room must have got quiet. They had been thinking throughout all this weird conversation about what Jesus had been saying. And their conclusion was to position themselves in positions of leadership. 
a place of personal honor that would be founded in this new kingdom that was about to take place within the next 12 months. Jesus had been very clear on how hard things would get. We talked about that two weeks ago, and we're going to end this morning at the end of this time at the table, and then Jesus and the disciples get up, and they start making their way into the garden. And on the way to the garden is when some serious, tough conversation happens. It's where Peter says, I'll never deny you. I would die for you. It's in that walk, and we're going to look at that next week. Jesus is going to tell them again how hard it's going to be. But I want to remind you, even though it was a month ago, the truth is it was only 72 hours ago, Jesus had told them, you are going to be killed, but take heart. That's all they can do is take your life. (laughs) Think about that. They must have gone, well, that's pretty significant. But not to Jesus. Because Jesus, he's infinite. The women's Bible study, uh, Heather's Bible study class has been talked about this this last Wednesday night. Men's time out, we've been talking about it every week for weeks. God sees things from an eternal perspective. He was in heaven before his birth. He's back there now. He sits at the right hand of the Father. He sees the beginning from the end. He he understands the whole picture. He sees how short life is. He's lived it. And we, we really think this is the big game. And it's not. This is the preface to the big game. He's infinite. We're finite. We think in terms of is my car running right? And Oh my gosh, it's 132 degrees in Texas today and my air conditioning's down. Well, that one's worth worrying about. But the, the truth is, you know what I'm saying. We're really worried about politics in America. And I, and I get all, I worry about it too, but you know in light of the next million years, which is the first day in eternity, it means nothing because God's still on the throne. Well, the disciples were guilty of picking and choosing what lessons Jesus taught that they were clinging to even this night, what they would ignore and what they would cling to, and it made them self-centered rather than God-centered. So Jesus, listening to them now fight among themselves over who was going to be the greatest leader in this kingdom that they were sure was about to happen, Jesus tells them in verse 25, in this world, the kings and the great men lorded over people. Yet they're called friends of the people. But among you it will be different. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank. And the leaders should be a servant. Who is more important? The one who sits at the table or the one who serves? The one who sits at the table, of course. That's how you would answer, Jesus says. But not here. Not among us. For I am the one who is serving you. Jesus just reminded them that he had washed their feet moments before. What they were talking about and arguing about was who was going to be served by the other 10 or 11. Who was going to be so admired for his intellect and his leadership skills that the rest would be in awe of even his presence. And Jesus is saying, that's not what my kingdom, this upside down kingdom is about. This kingdom raises up men and women who serve. In theological circles, we call this the already but not yet. Jesus says this, You have stayed with me in my time of trial, verse 28. Verse 29, and just as my father granted me the kingdom, I now grant you the right to eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and you will all sit on thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Oh, can you imagine how excited they just got? 
Jesus just seems to confirm what they want to happen. He just said, don't worry, all of you are going to, but you don't understand. To lead in this kingdom, you've got to serve. This is in theological circles, as I mentioned a moment ago, we call this the already but not yet. In other words, the truth of being God's child is I am presently a joint heir with Christ. Scripture says in Ephesians chapter 1 that I already have all spiritual blessings in Christ, that there's nothing God's going to add to what I have in him, that actually I own wealth and treasure, and it's hidden and stored for me where thief can't steal it, moth can't destroy it, rust can't, can't eat it away. It's permanently mine, but not yet. It is mine, but not yet. He's telling the disciples, you all want a place of honor at my table. Well, congratulations, you got it. Congratulations, you're all sitting there. And they're thinking, wow, within 12 months we'll sit there. And Jesus is thinking, no, in eternity. See, Peter, you're going to hang upside down and die on a cross. Matthew or Thomas, you're going to be in India and you're going to be stoned to death. And one by one, he's looking at it and they're all, they all live out their lives. John, congratulations, John, you get to live on an island on a prison island, and you're going to have terrorizing dreams that you will record that will be the book of Revelation. The fact is that all of them thought this was about to happen based upon words that Jesus had said, but they weren't trusting enough to rest in him. That is why when Jesus is killed, where are all the disciples? Hiding back in this room with the door locked. They should have been celebrating in the street what was happening because God had told them through Jesus that there would be a plan for their lives. But they're so afraid that they're next. They thought it was all over because they don't believe that he really has everything under control. Oh, in their time frame. This must have excited them so much. The kingdom was about to be theirs in their mind. The only problem was it wouldn't be until they were all killed. The problem with us today is, as I listen to Christians wrestle with COVID and our government, and I'm with you, I, I struggle too, and I, I, I want it okay. And I've got ways in my mind that make me feel like it, it'll be okay. If, if this person won the election, if this party controlled the Senate and the House, and it makes me want to write on Facebook every day things about that, but I don't because I'm not sure God's going to give us what we want this round. I'm not sure we'll ever have it again. You guys have learned your whole lives. Most of you grew up in the church. So did I. We have heard our whole lives this was coming. What if it's now? What if we have been chosen, like the disciples in the upper room, for such a time as this? What if instead of being mad at our governor or our president or Nancy Pelosi, or what if we rested in the Lord, knowing that he's got a plan for us, realizing that our panicky minds are finite, but our God's knowledge is infinite? And that his plan is good. This next 48 hours is going to be terrorizing for these men. In fact, 
it looks to me, and this is just my opinion, that it's only the women that actually stay at Jesus' side during his death. I think one of his brothers do. But they're all hiding. Even to prepare his body, that wasn't just women's work. They could have gone as well. But they don't. They're hiding in the upper room. Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of Jesus, they all go and help him. They're willing to risk their lives to honor their friend who had done so much for them. And what are the disciples doing? They're under the table in the upper room. Cowards. Because their hearts were not set on Jesus and his plan. It was set on their own plans with a Jesus fish on the bumper of their minivan. God is in charge. Well, it sure doesn't seem like it. It didn't seem like it to them. It doesn't seem like it to me. But if it did, I wouldn't need faith. Proverbs 3, 5. Look at this. You know this. Put it up there, Kevin. It's coming to a living room. I'll read it to you because you know it. Trust in the Lord. There it is. With most of your heart. Keep it up there. James is projecting on the internet. Keep it up there, James. Trust in the Lord with most of your heart and only lead on the stuff you're most convinced about. No, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Proverbs says this. This is Solomon who leaned on his own understanding nonstop. But he's saying, after all these things, son, please don't be like me. Please, please, please. You trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not depend on your own understanding. Don't depend on it. It will let you down. Verse 6, seek his will in all that you do and he'll show you what path to take. Verse 7 is the most powerful. Do not be impressed with your own wisdom. Oh my gosh, church, we're full of people right now deciding whether masks are real or not, whether COVID is real or not, whether the, the president's a liar or whether, do you realize at the table, they're all discussing who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. We should trust in the Lord. Yes, but we're being deceived. God's allowing it. Walk with God. You won't be deceived. We were uh, yesterday uh, somewhere and I, I want to keep it vague because I, I don't want to call somebody out. But they, okay, okay, some of you are going to be really upset with this, so buckle your belt. But there are signs all over the place that say, uh, you know, about cash, not accepting cash, use credit cards. Um, during COVID, the federal government says that the, uh, the, the feds weren't working at making money, and so they're, not, they're having a hard time with change and getting it out. But there are people who are so sure that means Christ is going to return. Somebody told me that yesterday, that this proves that the rapture is going to take place. I am a 61% believer in a pre-trib, pre-mill rapture, but I am not staking my hopes on it. My hopes are staked on Jesus Christ. And this money thing that's going on, and even if it becomes a cashless society, actually that would make my life easier because I've got an Apple watch. I can go, boop, boop. It, it, it does. I, I'm not afraid of it because God's still in control. Well, just wait. What if your Apple Watch is the mark of the beast? Just to be clear, the mark of the beast is a six, a six, and a six. It's not an Apple Watch. It's not a chip. It will be clear. God's not going to let his saints be deceived. And Satan doesn't want you to be deceived. He wants you to worship him. And you should not be freaking out that, that, that the world is going to hell in a handbasket. Jesus has been saying that for 2,000 years. What are we so surprised about? Well, I'm just surprised it's happening to America. How dare we think we're better than the rest of the world? 
How dare we? How dare we put our hope in our government? This country has made perpetually bad decisions in the name of God. And I refer you back to your upbringing in churches where people of color were not welcome. Where we were told interracial dating was a sin based on really bad contextual teaching of Scripture. You cannot trust the church. You can trust Jesus. And Jesus says, you trust me. These guys should have known in that room that he was going to die. Or they could have asked, what's this suffering talk? What's this death talk? Next week, I'll give you a little clue on it, because I know you're going to read it, because you're so excited, because I'm excited. But, just kidding. But he's actually going to say, okay, I'm going to leave you. You know what they're going to say? Where are you going? I'm going to (gasps) die. Peter's going to whisper in Jesus' ear, you're discouraging the troops. What is wrong with these people? Well, they believed in a pre-tribulation, pre-mill kingdom. And we look around at the world and we go, oh, it's going to get bad. It already is bad. You just were pretending it wasn't. I mean, our country, we have all this messed up stuff going on. You, you, you realize that the Republicans have not really fought abortion all that much, right? I mean, I, I don't even know the numbers. I think there's been hundreds, I don't know, almost a billion. I, I don't know. I'm not going to do that. But there is hundreds of millions of babies that have been aborted. Even when there were Republicans in the White House, in the Senate, and control of the Senate, and in Congress. Okay? Where's the fight? Yeah, but, but they speak a good game. Only Jesus can be trusted. Some of you had pastors fall to moral sin. And it devastated you because you didn't realize pastors are stupid, <laughs> except me. We're foolish. All of you are foolish. We're all fighting on Facebook about stuff we can't convince anybody of. I just want everybody to know what I think. And I want to write every time, I love you, but I really don't care what you think. I, I don't know. People, did you ever wonder why you need to share your opinion? And why nobody likes your opinion? Because nobody cares about your opinion. And every time you share your opinion that doesn't have anything to do with God, you drive people away from the king. I, I'm not saying you shouldn't be political online, but there's a way to do it that glorifies the Lord. Walk with Jesus. Don't be like these guys. Don't be like the disciples. They are arguing. This is so great. It was such a good week because they are, Jesus just said, I'm going to die. And what are they doing? Kingdom's coming, man. Yeah. Hey, I'm going to be on the right and left. (laughs) That's exactly where we are today. Pre-trib, pre-mill, pre-trouble. Nope. It's not how it works. In this world, Jesus said, we're going to have trouble. But take heart. I've overcome it. I've overcome it. Pastor Mark, I'm scared. I know. Me too, but less every day. Why? Because I'm looking forward to heaven for the first time in my life. I really am. I spent most of my life, and I think I've told you this before, reading the end of this book, Maranatha, is the very last words in the scripture, Revelation, the very end. So the people said, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. And I've always kind of wondered what it would be like to feel that way. I have no idea how COVID ends. I have no idea how we fix our country. I have no idea how we fix our world. I know where I won't have to deal with any of this junk anymore. When I am next to the King of Kings on his throne, my daddy, 
ruling. That's a promise. I'll rest there. In the meantime, I am going to spend every day and every moment and every breath reminding you that it isn't that this is the closest thing to hell you'll ever experience. So quit expecting more from this life than God promised. You're just like the disciples. Wah, wah, wah. And the stuff you don't understand, you don't need to know. He'll tell you when you need to know. Trust him and look forward to his return for our salvation is near. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do and he will show you which path to take. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Lord Jesus, make us like you, not the disciples. Help us to understand, Father, that we're not going to understand your plan. And some of the stuff that happens around us is going to scare us. But your infinite knowledge, the fact that you're sovereign, that you're overseeing this, that you have limits to what you'll allow, gives us peace and hope. Father, I pray for the parents of children, for my own grandson, for these parents that have young kids that want a good life for their kid. I pray that they would passionately desire one thing more than a good life for their kids, that that would be that they would raise warriors for the King of Kings, men and women of God, little men and women who trust in God and not themselves. Lord Jesus, we do love you, now help us to trust you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Have a wonderful day, church family.